0: I want to begin with a question we'll put it on the screen. Whose authority are you under? I want you to think about that because that will determine your reality. I don't know how many of you heard of the they call it the dead man walking illustration. It's pretty common, but it's about a man who thought he was dead. And so the counselor could not convince him over months that he was alive. So he got him reading medical journeys, medical journals about dead people versus live people. And finally, he convinced this guy that dead people cannot bleed. And he agreed to it. And then he grabbed the guy's hand, pricked his finger with a pin, and it bled. And the man in shock looked at the counselor and said, Dead people do bleed. <laughs> You know, our our reality is defined by our biases. And our reality is defined by whose authority we set ourselves under. And whose authority we set ourselves under is how we interpret life and how we react to life. Think about the story that was read this morning. Some say it has to be a myth because virgins can't have children. And the reality is defined by medical science. It fails to accept that God created us, and he gets the final say in everything. There's other people who say, you know, well, what happened really was a combination of myth and truth, and so they rewrite, and they said the authors rewrote things to fit the story and the narrative they wanted to proclaim. Still others deify Mary. They say Mary is some special person beyond most of us, and she's not like one of us, and God would never use someone like us. But there's many different ways we can look at this story. Now, you need to know that my perspective is that my authority is Christ. So how I approach this story is I believe it as it was spoken, that God's Son was born of a virgin, I believe that Mary should be honored as the mother of Jesus, but she's just ordinary like you and I. And I realize all that takes faith, but faith is not some obscure spiritual concept. Faith does reshape the present, and it brings forth a new reality into both the present and future. So I want to focus on that whole issue of faith this morning and look at Mary and look at her faith and see how that can really... Translate into how we live by faith each and every day. You can turn to Luke chapter 1. That was a passage that was read by Carol. And again, I want us to take time to consider this whole question of faith. But before we look at the question of faith, let me ask you this question. What does it mean to love God? Now, the love of God requires faith. Gary Chapman wrote a book on marriage, and in that book he wrote about five love languages. I know many people have heard of that, and the five languages are words of affirmation and quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, physical touch, and he says we need to find out what our primary love language is, and then we can relate to each other. Now, if you're sitting there listening to those five things, and if you say, well, I need all five, then you probably need a therapist, okay? Okay. It's about what is our primary love language. But I got thinking this past week, what is God's primary love language? Now, I have to admit, I missed that one in theology class. We never talked about it. But what is it that pleases God? Hebrews 11.6, read that with me. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it's impossible to please God without faith. And just maybe... This is God's primary love language. Because if we can't please God without faith, then we have to take a serious look at our faith if we want to get into that love relationship with God. So let's begin to unpack Mary's faith. And I pray it'll teach us about faith and how we should live by faith. Now, here's the first principle. God had faith in Mary to carry his son. I want you to think about that. Because so often we talk about faith as from us to God. We don't ever think about God having faith in us. What this means is God chose Mary. And she had a choice to accept God's faith in her. So as we're going down through this message, I want you to ask this question to yourself. Will you accept God's faith in you? Will you embrace the hope of Christ in you? I know it's hard to see that God has faith in us, but look at stories. He went to Peter one day. He renamed him Petra or the rock. I know Dwayne Johnson took that one from Peter, but Peter was the original rock, okay? And he said, listen, Peter, I will build my church on you. I have faith in you that I'm going to use to build my church. So do you see and understand the faith that God has in you? Now, let me unpack this with a current day illustration, and I hope this makes sense. But there's always a lot of confusion about a variety of stuff. And one of those, there's a lot of discussion about this. It's around the question of gender identity, and it goes by many names. And there are questions and struggles around this issue And as a church, GBC, there's always a few critical principles that by faith we accept. By faith we accept that everyone is created in the image of God. Now, that means several things. It means they have value, they have dignity, and they have purpose. And as God invites everyone into his family, so everyone here is welcome and they are accepted and loved. Now, that does not mean that every lifestyle choice is approved of. And again, that's on so many levels. I think about our recovery community. We do not approve of those choices that destroy them. In fact, we confront that, and we walk with them away from that. Now, again, I realize that people had unthinkable things happened to them by their parents. I mean, you hear me say all the time, everyone has a story, and our stories shape us. It shapes us by whose authority we put ourselves under. And understand there's voices in our culture that speak opinions as truth. And this has created a lot of pain, suffering, and confusion. But a question I have for those this morning that struggle with friends or family or themselves with this whole gender identity. The question is, can you trust God? Can you have faith that the gender he has created you in is where you ought to live? Now, of course, the application is for all of us. I know people that don't think they're smart enough or strong enough Not good enough, but are you willing to have faith in how God created you with your skill sets, your gifts, your passions? So the first thing I want you to realize, he spoke to Mary. He says, Mary, I have faith in you. Will you trust me? Because there's a whole lot of implications about declaring that you are pregnant and you never had relationship with a man. I mean, think about the circumstances. It was very difficult. She had a fiancé. Now, we know he was going to be kind and separate from her quietly. Evidently, Mary could not, or Mary's family could not convince him that this was true. But God says, Mary, will you trust me? So what does God do? He intervenes with sending an angel. And God's angels can be very convincing. Amen? (laughs) So... Let's move on looking at Mary's faith and our faith, okay? But I want you to realize that God has faith in you, and you can become one of his sons or daughters. And we need to believe that and live that. Again, whose authority are you under? If you're under God's, then you need the faith to believe that he has that kind of faith in you. Now, while I was doing some research for this message, I came across an outline by Tim Keller. And I thought, you know, this helps us unpack this whole question of faith and what it looks like in us. But here's the four things we're going to consider from his outline. He says, according to this passage, you see Mary responding thoughtfully in faith. You see Mary responding gradually in faith. You see Mary responding in wonder with her faith. And then you see her responding in willing surrender. So let's use this as a roadmap for our journey this morning. So Mary responds thoughtfully. So an angel appears, message from God, and note what she does not say. She doesn't say, praise the Lord, this is great, this is what I've been waiting for. No, what does it say? It says she was troubled greatly. <laughs> I think most of us wonder the same thing. And number two, she says, it, she wondered what this meant. Now, the word wonder literally is used of the word to make an audit. Think about if the IRS came in and audited your finances, okay? The word is intensely rational. So she sat down and she started going through all the details of both Jewish history and present day and everything else, piecing this together. And it says she was troubled. Any normal person would be troubled. She probably, and again, we don't have a record of this, started saying things like this. Did I really see an angel? You know, was I hallucinating? Did I have a bad dream? What's going on here? How can this be? In fact, she does say, how can this be? And you know, we might say that she doubted, but she asked questions, and she used her reasons, and she came to her conclusion in faith. Now, I know doubt is something we struggle with, and for many, we say doubt is a sign of a lack of faith, but you have to understand there's really two kinds of doubt. There's the kind of doubt that's a sign of a closed mind that says, please don't confuse me with the facts. And so we say things like this. Well, I doubt this story. It's a myth. Don't try to convince me otherwise. Um, So often we get entitled to our opinions as truth. And so we don't work through our doubts. We just kind of ignore the facts that send us in a different path. Now, some doubt seeks answers. That's healthy doubt. Some doubts a defense against the possibility of answers. But Mary, she was open to the truth and was willing to relinquish control over her life when she was shown the truth is other than what she thought. And again, remember what I said last couple of weeks in Isaiah? God says, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. That's the toughest one for Americans to get over because we want to say to God, no, my thoughts ought to be your thoughts and my way ought to be your way. But that's not how faith works. So Mary responds thoughtfully. She really processed this in her mind. Secondly, she responds gradually in faith. Faith requires the commitment of our whole life. We do not go from being uncommitted to full commitment in a single step. I mean, look at Mary's reaction here. The first thing she says, how will this be? That's a polite way of saying, this is absolutely crazy. Now, Her response is measured, though, because she asked for more information. And that brings her to the second response, which is simple acceptance. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me be fulfilled. And again, she's not saying this. She's not saying, listen, oh, it's so clear now. I I get it. I love this plan. I'm so excited to be part of this plan. No, it's kind of like, you know, I don't get it, but I'm willing to surrender to your authority. You know, steps of faith come before it all comes together for us. And that's both rationally and emotionally. And sometimes our emotions take a while to catch up to us. But she submits and she trusts. Now, the third response is exercising her heart. That's where the emotions finally catch up with her process okay, I'm willing to surrender to this. She visits her cousin Elizabeth, and what happens? Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist and they have a God moment. John the Baptist starts jumping inside of Elizabeth when she walks in being pregnant with Jesus. And what does Mary do? She bursts into praise. And she says things like this. My soul glorifies. My soul, my spirit rejoices. Now, this kind of Faith takes time and travels many different paths. You note in the text, she stayed where for three months? With Elizabeth. You know, faith is a process that breaks through our control. It breaks through our prejudices. It breaks through our details. Then the third thing we see, according to faith, is Mary responds in wonder. She uses words like my soul, my spirit, and she's moved to the very depths of her being. And again, Mary's not saying things like this. You know, I realize this could add value to my life. You know, this is a good thing. This is just what I need to reach my goals in life. There's none of that. It's just kind of like sitting there in the presence of God and enjoying that presence. She's not weighing the costs and benefits because there's going to be huge costs. She's called up in the wonder of God. And she says things like this. The mighty one has done great things for me. Now, when you start reading what we read this morning, let me translate what she said. She said, God has spent centuries preparing for this day. She quotes Abraham. And now God's going to save this world through a simple, poor teenage, still unwed girl. And there is joy and there's astonishment and there's fear and there's courage that God is blessing her, that God has faith in her, that God is going to honor her, but she wants to honor him. Paul writes these words in 1 Colossians 1, verse 27. They really apply to all of us. He says, to them, God chose, okay? God has faith in his church to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we read that, and we should be shocked that God would give us this gift of Christ with our, our smallness, our flaws, our sin. And think about Christ having faith in you. Think about for those outside of Christ, okay? If you're here this morning, you're outside of Christ, it's time you let them in. Think about for those that are in Christ. It's time to be filled with awe and wonder and display. You know, we've fallen trapped to in our world that somehow whatever happens on a stage on a Sunday morning has to bring all in wonder. It's crazy. The band may be good. You may have smoke machines flying. There may be a wonderful set like this. But nothing compares to the majesty of who God is. We settle for so much less. See, that kind of faith, <laughs> that's the kind of faith that pleases God. Then finally, Mary responds in willing surrender. Let's return to the statement, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. It's a statement of obedience, not blind obedience. She's grounding her obedience in the reality that he is God, that he's creator and keeper of the universe. She's grounding her faith and her obedience in all the history of how God moved in Israel, how the Messiah is to be coming. And, you know, somebody has to step up. <laughs> Let's illustrate it this way. There's a lot of things by faith you take for granted. Here's one of those. I want everybody with me just take a deep breath and hold it. Okay, let it out. You know, that breath was created by God. And it was given to you. And you, every single day, wake up by faith saying, I'm going to breathe. But you know what? If God chose us to stop that breath right now this morning, it's gone. It's his. But there's so much, if we just take a look at the wonder of who God now Let's look at Mary again and think for a moment, and let me read a quote from Tim Keller as he was just dialoguing about this situation. Here's what he writes about this situation. She knew that in a traditional paternalistic, that's a male-oriented society, in a small town, she would always be seen as the bearer of an illegitimate child. The whole community would think she either had sex with Joseph before they were married or had been unfaithful to her fiancé. She knew that Jesus would be seen as a bastard. Yet she said, I am the Lord's servant. She knew what she was getting into. This would mean a life of disgrace or worse. Whatever comes, she says, I accept it. Now, anyone who wants to be a Christian must basically do the same thing as Mary. Jesus is not a vendor of spiritual services. Faith is not a negotiation to get those services. Faith is an act of surrender. It means you take your hands off your life. It means that you submit to his authority. And the question is, are you willing to have faith in God? Are you willing to see that he has faith in you as a son and a daughter? Are you willing to yield to his authority in your life, confessing that he knows more than you do? But we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with authority in our lives and and those kind of issues. I remember when I first attended LBC, you know, I was young. And, of course, young people always have a hard time submitting to older authority because we think that we knew more than they did because they don't understand us. Ever feel that way? And when I went to LBC, it's a little different today, but they had a lot of rules, okay? And I disagreed probably with 80% of the rules, Anybody here love rules? Okay, I don't see a single hand. And so, and this is how I'm wired. I would politely go into the Dean of Students, and I want to ask him, okay, I want to know why there's rules about length of hair, the kind of shirts we can wear, the kind of pants we can wear, about whether we can go to movies, play cards. I mean, we had a whole host of things. And I was ready to come back with an answer because I was expecting him to say, well, that's how a good Christian ought to be. Because, you know, we interpret rules that way. We interpret rules when there's a, a group or a school or anything that has authority over us. We think they're telling us this is the way you ought to live. So I remember the dean. It was Dean Halstead at the point. He looked at me and says, well, he says, it's this way. You chose to come to LBC, and yes, we have rules. And this is part of your education. Because no matter where you go, no matter what job you have, no matter who you marry, no matter what kind of family you have, you are going to have to live under somebody's rules. So part of your education here is whether you agree with the rules or not, you have to submit to them. Well, I couldn't argue with that. <laughs> so I smiled and laughed and probably grumbled about the rules more than once and probably broke some of the rules more than once. But uh, here's what you need to know is God loves you. And um, the rules that are in place are there for your benefit. And by faith, because God has faith in you, you can position yourself in surrender. Now, I'm going to read a prayer, and you can follow with me. Before I do that, I really want to ask the basic question, because so many of us assume that all of us here have made a decision to follow Christ, but if you're here this morning and you've never given your life over to Christ, you never by faith ask him into your life, confess that you're a sinner and so on and so forth. If you're here, I just want you to stand up because we're going to pair somebody up with you and we're going to make this right this morning because that's the first step of faith you take by accepting Christ that he was born of a virgin. He came to die. And he died for you and for me and for the entire world. So if you're here this morning, just kind of stand. And if I don't see you do the lights, shout out. <laughs> and we're going to pair somebody up with you and walk you through that. Anybody? Okay, we're going to do two things in closing then. I'm going to read a covenant prayer by John Wesley. I'll read it because it has a lot of Elizabethan language and we can kind of stumble our tongues over that. And after this, uh, Carrie's going to come and she's going to sing a song about Mary. And we want you to sit and reflect upon those words. So pray this with me I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt, put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O oh, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. And everyone said, Amen.